0: This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of Independent Community Radio Station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthew.3cr.org.au. Hey. Hey. Check,
1: check, check.
0: Sickness. Need new violence on the hit list. Shout out to Grant with the sweetheart. I'm full of shit, but I am a sweetheart. Negative with a lifestyle. I dress like young Thug before lifestyle. I made rap noise, before for death grips. First in the rapper who's queer kid. Fuck sticky fingers at basics. Coming for you with a face kick. Oz music industry, so many Wednesdays on the timeline. It's your time, please. Hold my drink, little piece for a guide me. I'm a twin, but got a tiger inside me. And I...
1: The Plath.
2: from their album, Very Pretty. Simo Sue. there. We'll be chatting to him in the studio real soon. And uh just want to pay our respects to Yvonne Gardner, who was really an icon in the LGBTI community here in Melbourne. Of course, she was involved in supporting people with HIV and providing lunches since the early days of the epidemic and we'll be chatting to Brenton Geyer, paying tribute to her life and legacy at 4.25. But I am joined in the studio by Simo Sue. It's been a few months since we spoke to you, and you've released a new album in that time. I have. So that was a title track, Very Pretty. Tell yeah. us what that song was about. I'm, I'm detecting a bit of irony laced in there.
3: Uh, it's, it's uh, I guess it's the whole mission statement for the whole record, I suppose. Yeah. Kind of, um, uh, you know, I'm going to do the things I want to do, and, uh, you know, whether or not anyone cares or, or wants me to.
2: But people do care. I mean, you are you have an amazing cult following. And mm-hmm. I saw a tweet from you just a few weeks ago where yeah. you were doing a, a, a gig, a DJ gig, at a mystery location. Of course, you're a rapper, you're a singer, yeah. you're a DJ. What could you tell us about that without necessarily revealing the mystery location?
3: I already played that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. But where was it, like you can uh, tell us?
3: I can't say where it was, but yeah. it, it was in a nice place with... Some nice groups
2: <laughs> does, does that make a difference when, when people don't know Where it is Until the last minute Does that kind of Does that kind of help With the mystique
3: A little bit I feel like it, yeah, it helps You know Everyone wants to go somewhere Where they uh, You know A secret or something I, I'm not sure But uh, Yeah I don't know Those people there It was fun
2: Yeah <laughs> So Very pretty Why did you pick that title For um, the album It's kind of something I say a lot
3: um, like I'll just say things that are like very pretty, um, but also you know thinking about myself and like I, I think I'm very pretty and maybe it's really hard to uh, you know people don't want you to say things like that about yourself you know but everyone should feel like they're very
2: pretty because everyone is. Uh, so. <laughs> Your last album um, was quite angsty. It was quite punkish. Is sure. is this album like a, a different style? Have you uh, kind of, are you less punkish and more kind of heartfelt or not um, that punk's not heartfelt, but sure. um, I
3: think this was more like, uh, cause like that one, I felt like I was trying to like prove something or kind of like, I was very thirsty or very something like that. But with this one, I was like, I'm just going to make something uh, like I made it in like five weeks and I was just kind of like, cause I wanted to make something and like, I didn't really feel any kind of. I wasn't thinking about anyone i was listening to, him. I was just like, I'm gonna make something.
2: What was that urge about that sounds very kind of, you know, you said thirsty. Yeah. It sounds almost hungry as well. Like, you sure. know, why were you so focused on making something? Was it just was it about a sense of well being that you you couldn't quite get to unless you had made something or were making something?
3: Yeah. Um I think so, yeah. And then it was like a lot of things like um you know, like like uh, having a lot of things to get out and I really knowing what to even, not even really knowing what they were, and just like because I like I moved into this new house, and like I kind of really just put out a, an album, uh, but I was like, uh, I felt like I I wasn't uh, <laughs> I didn't feel super happy with the response to the last one, uh, even really? though I, even from, though I from should, your fans, I guess so, but more more like it was just something in myself because like a lot of people you know were really kind and about it and stuff. But I think it was maybe something in myself that was like.
2: Uh, I don't know It sounds like out. you didn't think It was good enough
3: Maybe that was it uh, So I was like I'm just gonna make another one And not be sad about that uh, I think there's always This weird thing about like making music Like you put something out And you spend all this time Making it And you put it out And you're like Oh okay Now I've done the thing Like What do I do now So I, I just made
2: another one <laughs> Were you surprised With what came out
3: uh, A little bit yeah Like cause I, I feel like I, I spent less time Like worrying about like uh, like, because there's songs that, you know, mix like black metal and like hip hop, and like there's, there's music that I like, but I never would have let myself put those two together, or it'd be so abrasively, oh, this is a punk song. Like, to, I've always been like, I have to mix all the things together. But with this, I was just like, oh, that's just that song. This song's a house song. This song's got a, you know, a metal part at the end. So, like, I think it was just more about just freeing my thoughts and just kind of just making something and not really thinking too much about it uh, in terms of what it sounds like or what I do, just making things
2: because I make music. You mentioned black metal. First of all, can you define sure. it? Uh, what well, is that sound?
3: Uh, like, uh, you know, blast beats and uh, heavy guitars, really screamy vocals. Uh,
2: you've always a... done that, but it sounds like you've, you've taken it further on this album. The screamy so, yeah. vocals, the, the yeah. kind of guttural stuff.
3: For sure. Well, I mean, that like, the vocals in that are, like, uh, are samples. It's not me. But, like, uh, yeah, I think I, I just wanted to... Because I listen to so much different music as well. And, like, you know, I personally makes music, so I should explore all these different things. I shouldn't just do, like, the one thing. Or I don't just do the one thing anyway, but, you know, I can still branch out from what I'm doing, you know,
2: already. What's the most confronting song on Very Pretty and why?
3: Uh... Probably like the, like there's one called like emo F soundtrack, uh, which is like a sex jam. And I've never really made a really blatantly sexual song, like graphically sexual song. Uh, like I've totally talked about it in, you know, probably in every song, but I've never been like super detailed. And I think that was like really confronting. And like my friend, my friend Mama sleep to death talks in Spanish in it. And she's like kind of just talking about things like, you know, consent or. Things like that being the sexiest things. And so, so my bits are really... It's also very topical at the moment. Sure. With Me Too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And like, uh, it was, I kind of wanted to... Yeah. You know, I can say all these graphic things,
2: but then balance it out, you know, with some beautiful things said in Spanish. Is there a tribal element to your music, do you think? Certainly there's a tribal element to your following. Would you mm. say that's the case? Um is there a tribal element to your songs? Okay, um, I'm thinking identity politics.
3: Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I think there is. Like, uh, and but but I mean, as, mu- as much as that's a part of what I do, like, you know, I I want you know, I make music for the queers and the punks, but like, I also want other people to like it as well, uh, and because you know, everyone can like things, <laughs> and I think I think you know. I might be of a certain kind of person or, or whatever, but, uh,
2: you know, I can relate to people, all kinds of people. You mentioned queers and punks. Are yeah. you finding there's much of an overlap these days between the two?
3: Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, like I'm from Sydney where, everyone, where you know, all my friends were queer punks. So, uh, But I don't really know much about that here. But, uh, <laughs> so is there no queer punk scene in Melbourne?
2: Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah, I'm sure there is. But you're is. And, isolated and, from it.
3: A little bit, I think, yeah. But I, do, I, know, I know some people in that, in that kind of thing, but yeah.
2: That's fascinating because your music encapsulates queer punk. You're <laughs> one of the, the few kind of queer punk artists out there who's, you know, got their own label no. and, you know, is releasing records here in Melbourne. So you, okay. you, you should be at the epicenter of it all, man. Well, we'll see. <laughs> What's your see. favorite song on Very Pretty and Why?
3: uh i think like the last one uh it's like this really like what's it called it's called clouds uh it's it's kind of an yeah, intense kind of song but like i'm singing in it i've never really sung in songs before much and like uh you know i learned things like all well, these classical music kind of devices and things like that for it and like
2: yeah i think you mean instruments no oh
3: oh, like more like modes of or modes modes, the right word like uh motifs of classical music and stuff like that like was a thing like uh like the extended outro is kind of like I was learning about uh I think it's Beethoven or Bach one of those one of those dudes uh would have these kind of motifs in their songs that would just kind of change and change but it's kind of the same thing but just very subtly changes
2: uh, but I don't really remember enough about it to kinda of talk about it. <laughs> so Cloud's just got a classical influence. That's something new. What's the song actually about? What are the lyrics about? Uh
3: it was, it's actually about uh like I I got like I had a bath and I kind of like almost like cooked myself <laughs> in it. Uh
2: change will prune.
3: Yeah, I'm uh, also, like uh there's a thing called like heat stroke, which I didn't even know about, which like it's happened to heaps of like Rock stars like Jim Morrison, and like I think Jimi Hendrix as well, where you, you kind of like you kind of like overheat your body, and your body can't regulate itself, and you kind of cook yourself. That's why I shouldn't
2: drink champagne in a in a spa. Yeah, totally. Champagne.
3: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It was that kind of thing. Like I was, I was drinking wine in the bath, uh, and because I, I have a, I have ADHD, so I take Ritalin. So that's another thing. top with that, which I didn't know about either. Uh, So yeah, I did this, I got in the bath, it was like way too hot and like I just, like my body just flipped out Uh, and so, but I didn't really know, I didn't really know that's what happened and uh, yeah, I kind of like realized, I was like, oh, I like nearly died then. Uh, That's really bad. Uh, (laughs) And and I was like, well, it's like, like it sounds really emo, but like, you know, like like I didn't want to die, but I didn't know that I wanted to live at that point. I was like, oh, oh. Yeah, no, I want to be alive. Like, that would have been awful. So, yeah, that's kind of what the song's about. It's like, you know, things might suck, but,
2: you know, you're alive. And so we really owe this album to the bath. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so Clouds is your favourite song off the album?
3: Uh, at the moment. But, yeah, I think I think it is, yeah. I'm pretty sure it is, yeah.
2: Now, you also um, upload tracks onto playlists on the internet. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I, I like to, like... I, listen, I mean, I listen to music, everyone does, but I listen to music all the time. And like, I just kind of like sharing music. I like, you know, mix mixtape culture and all that kind of thing. I like, I send my, you know, constantly send friends music. And it's beautiful. Think, yeah, it is. And I would really like how Spotify, you know, you can just make a playlist and be like.
2: And it can be anyone. Yeah, anyone.
3: yeah totally. Wow. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, but yeah, it's I've like,
2: of, like an extension of DJing, really, isn't it?
3: Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, like i really like to do a radio show, I think at
2: some point. But
3: like, uh, yeah, I think it's because it's kind of like that. Like, I, yeah, I love sharing stuff, and I love, I love how Spotify, you know, you can you go on my Spotify page and you can look at a mixtape. I, I every week I, you know, update.
2: So yeah, it's fun. What's the favorite track of yours that you're listening to at the moment? Um, Any artist?
3: Um, <laughs> it's a hard question, actually. Yeah, It is. Uh, I really like that new Mariah Carey song, that GTFO one. Have you heard that? I haven't heard that one. It's really good. It's really cheeky. Uh, that and, like... Hmm. Colella has a new remix album out. That's good. Uh, hmm. My friend Lalich has a new record out. That's good.
2: Uh,
3: yeah, lots of things.
2: <laughs> People want to get your record, Very Pretty. Where should they go? Uh,
3: it's unlike everywhere... Yeah, Spotify, iTunes, Bandcamp, SoundCloud,
2: uh, everywhere you listen to music, it's it's going to be on there. Well, we are going to hear clouds now—the yeah. track where you almost died in the bar that sure. inspired <laughs> this particular song. So, yeah. Simosu, thank you so much for joining us, no and problem. Um, nice having me. always great to chat. For sure. And here it is. Here's clouds. Yes.
1: Just feeling breeze on me now Windows open, I see clouds But at least I can see now A beast louder than a heart is beating in my chest A beast louder than a heart is beating in my chest Just opens up my third eye Set a hack as I leave it for a accident. No curses on me, and I'm expecting no backlash, or backstabs, a backdrop. Just feeling breeze. I may not windows open, and see clouds, but at least I can see clouds. Beats louder than a beast, letter, heart is beating in my chest. A beast louder than a heart is beating in my chest. A beast louder than a heart is beating in my chest.
2: Sue there, clouds. It's almost 25 past four. You are an in-your-face on 3CR with James. Well, the LGBTI community here in Melbourne was rocked by the death of Yvonne Gardner recently. Yvonne was a legend in the people living with HIV AIDS movement. She began lunches in the 1980s for people that continued until very, very recently. She was a community stalwart. She was at the centre of the HIV epidemic and really was a quintessentially Melbourne iconic figure. I'm joined in the studio by Brenton Geyer, a friend of hers over many, many years. Brenton, you're a fixture in. In the community as well, you've been a writer, a performer, an events manager, and uh, in all of your activities, Yvonne Gardner was never too far away as somebody in the community that you were supporting.
4: I was along for the ride very much with Yvonne, um, right from, um, I think it was 1990 when I first met her. And she's already hit her stride in, at, by that stage in terms of being a, a scene identity, a, a community identity, and as you described, um, the stalwart that she was to become. Uh, how do you talk about Yvonne in one conversation? Her influence on, on the queer community in Melbourne, particularly the HIV-AIDS community, is an, has been enormous. She was multi-level sort of influence, but for me, the main influence, or, or the, the way I will always remember Yvonne, is that she was the ultimate party girl.
2: Indeed, and in fact, her her entry to the gay scene was in the 1960s on the party scene. I interviewed her many years ago for, for Brother Sister magazine, and she talked how it wasn't called the gay scene then, it was called the camp scene, you were, you were camp. And she said there was a whole heap of parties that just revolved around certain houses in South Yarra, and that was the nexus of the community, and that was how she met her husband, and 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 you know basically this whole gay life.
4: Yes, she, go, she erupted goes. erupted for her. Mm, she goes back to before there was such a thing as a as a scene, as you say, and she was um, formative in creating the scene when when nightclubs and bars emerged and people came out of the closet more and more out of those private parties and into public bars and and clubs she was right there you'd often um uh, hear her before you saw her the jangle of her the chains around her neck and the jangle of her, her her bangles that went all the way up the arm were a sign that she was on the way and then you would hear her throaty outrageous laugh um one that can only be um, cultured by a heavy smoker, it was um, a signature of Yvonne was her was her great, um, rich hearty laugh.
2: You mentioned those bangles; they were pretty famous. Now, one of them I remember. It was a big, thick, white ivory bangle. It was and an elephant tusk. It, it was from the 17th century, yes. she told me.
4: Yes, an amazing piece. And, and of course, there's a lot of awareness now about game hunting and, and, and we don't do it and we don't encourage it. But, but back then in, in the 50s and 60s, there wasn't that awareness of it being such a such a, a, a horrible thing to do. Um, and it, it was a bangle that she never took off. It was a carved elephant tusk bangle that she never took off until it did split through age and probably being clanked on a few bars and (laughs) it did split so she had to she had to take it off
2: there's a famous story of yvonne at the metro nightclub actually and it was the village people concert and she got up on one of the speakers and she was jangling that that elephant
4: tusk bangle amazing i think it's probably you're probably referring to um the time that midsummer Bought the village people out, village people out, and they performed at the Metro in Burke Street. Yvonne would have been on the board, as was I, a, at the time. Apart from her work in the HIV/AIDS arena, Yvonne sat on the board of Midsummer. She marched with ACT UP. She was involved in the candlelight vigils. She, she, there was barely or rarely a community group that she wasn't aligned with at some point. Even Bent TV, I recall. She was a roving reporter for a little while there. So there was barely a, a part of the community that she didn't touch in some way.
2: And in fact, uh, she was on the board of people living with HIV AIDS, Victoria, when it was called PLWA Mm -hmm. in the late 80s to Mm -hmm. early 90s. And she was the only non-positive person that was actually on that board. Mm -hmm. And it was because she was an honorary positive person because she was so linked to the HIV community and had done so much. Brinton, tell us how how you think we'll look back on her her contribution, her legacy to the HIV community in future years,
4: because that's been huge. She's a re- she was a rebel. I think we'll see her as a rebel. We'll see her as an, as an activist. She was pure grassroots activism and advocacy for people living with AIDS and HIV. She would go where no one else would. She would decamp out of the front of the Commission flats in Collingwood. With a tub of a, a, with a pot of soup to feed people who were um, socially isolated due to their HIV status, and and then much um, much more to the point uh, due to having AIDS. And this is a, AIDS, as we all know, is a very socially isolating condition, as is HIV. And often a lot of these men, and it was mainly men at the time that were influenced by Yvonne's assistance were cast out by their family and friends. Mm. And they really, that has an incredible um, mental health issue effect on on these guys as well as the physical issues that they're dealing with through, through HIV and AIDS. But Yvonne would feed them, take them out to clubs and bars, give them a life, give them a social life. And those those little actions went on to to become something much bigger. Um, when she formed her lunch clubs.
2: Of course, Yvonne was very active in the campaign to save Fairfield Hospital, Mm -hmm. and she was successful. And then, of course, the Kennett government came in and nothing was going to stop them from closing it. But they didn't stop Yvonne Gardner. What did she do? She sold her place in Malvern in the southeast, bought a place in Preston, and started doing her north side lunches. What can you tell us about those lunches? Well, I
4: I went to several of them, particularly the Christmas Day ones where if I wasn't eating the food I was serving it um, at various times over the decades, they continue to this day. And, and Yvonne was shopping for her, her regular lunch, Friday lunches, even leading up to the week where she died, last week. So, um, and I think they will continue in some form or other. Someone will take them on, because they're such an asset to people who are socially isolated living with HIV. So her lunches were happening, say, two weeks ago? Oh, yes, indeed. Oh, yes, indeed. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That
2: must be a huge shock, her death to those people who were who, who going to those lunches
4: each week. Like, it's a shock to all of us, but to them, this just must be a disaster. She was a mother figure. She was. And widely and appropriately often described as an Auntie Mame sort of figure, a larger-than-life diva um, party girl, as I've described her, she she is self described a self described um, drag queen trapped in a woman's body, so you can. Imagine- I remember her saying that. Yes, yes, um, and 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 she wore that title with a, as a like a badge of honour. There was very rarely a, a drag stage that she hasn't been on. When clubs through the eighties, seventies, eighties, and nineties, like Pokies in St Kilda, would do fundraisers for HIV, the HIV Assistance Organisation who provided grassroots care and support for people living with AIDS and HIV. Yvonne was often on the stage with the drag queens, belting out a, a couple of numbers, and and often uh, outshone a lot of the, the glamour of the drag of, of the time, and still does. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, she was
2: just such a, a quintessential figure. And I remember the first time I laid eyes on her, there she was in these incredible brown leather pants. She wasn't just a drag queen,
4: you know she was a leather queen as well she she was one of the few women to get into the laird hotel mm. um or or one of the few that that um that was embraced one of the few women um who were embraced by the 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 laird, the laird community, the leather community the bear community etc. um so she was a regular there in that scene too back back in the eighties and nineties a lot of those boys uh, had h i v developed AIDS. She was, she was, as I said, very much a mother figure in their lives.
2: She wasn't without controversy. She was very active in the lunches at the Positive Living Centre when it was in St Kilda and prior to that when it was in Paran. She also had her conflicts with VAC as well. Um, did she ever reconcile
4: those conflicts, do you think? I think she found her space in the sector as being a, a, a solo, almost renegade, Um, grassroots operator, providing support where no organisation would. I remember her taking a bucket around nightclubs such as as Three Faces, for example, and others up and down Commercial Road, and she wouldn't go home until that bucket was full of money because somebody needed a fridge Mm. or somebody needed a heater. And that's where she... Uh, that's why I think she'll find her space in our memories, in our collective memories of her as a grassroots activist. And she didn't take no for an answer. She she had if if a, if if some queen out there didn't have a heater with winter coming on, she would take a bucket through the nightclubs until she had enough money in that bucket to buy that heater.
2: She also opened her home to people living with HIV and many people stayed with her. She was probably, you know, an emergency
4: crisis accommodation service as well. She did play that role indeed, particularly with her large Victorian villa in Auburn Road, Hawthorne, as you described earlier. I I was lucky enough to go there a few times. It was a magical place. What was it like? it like? It was kind of like a ghost house. It... It had that aura of something mystical and magical and, and ghostly around it because it was very dark and moody. And it was high high style in terms of the way it was decorated. If you can imagine what she looked like, imagine that it turned into an, an interior all very much of a time, all very high chic 1970s glamour um, in this beautiful uh, Victorian villa. And it was a time capsule really. Uh, it's it's well known, and I'm not talking out of school, that when her husband Reg died, um, very suddenly and very young, she retreated into 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 that home a bit like Miss Havisham, and didn't change anything. So it was a time warp, a time capsule of another period, and I loved going there and fossicking around. She had the most magnificent collection of beaded purses and be and 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 sequined. Um, handbags that she proudly displayed in the glass cabinet uh, in her home. She had collections of everything, really. There wasn't much she didn't collect. So the house was full of exciting and exotic items to to take your interest in. And the eye travelled everywhere. And everywhere the eye travelled, there was something amazing to see. It sounds like she was almost a cultural guide to so many gay folks as well. Oh, absolutely. An educator. Oh, people saw her, as I said, as an Auntie Mame someone who who really didn't say no to anybody's influence in her life, no matter who they were where they came from or, or what they or what they wanted to gain from their friendship with her, I saw her as I said earlier as the ultimate party girl, so that's what I gained from my friendship um night after night after night out with Yvonne at bars clubs, and she was still in fact the day, the Saturday night before she died she was at d t s to see the drag show. Of course, she knew all the drag queens. She knew all the scene identities. She was one of them herself. What can you tell us about her
2: death? Not much is known in the community about what happened.
4: Mm, I, I'm only learning um, the details as they emerge. She had a stroke. She had two strokes within quick succession of each other. Oh dear. She she was a survivor. You know, in a lot of, in every way, she was a survivor. She survived breast cancer. She survived bowel cancer. Um, she was a very heavy smoker a heavy drinker. She lived life. I saw her earlier this year a few times. She was looking old and she was looking frail and uh, she was looking unwell uh, and she was going through the bowel cancer scenario. That was given the all clear. But come last sat last Sunday evening, she had a stroke. She was taken to hospital via ambulance and had another stroke in hospital and that finished her off. That's, that's what I believe to be the case.
2: But she went quickly, at least. Oh, she did.
4: Yeah, yeah. But she had enough time, I believe, to give give some very um, direct instructions about the way that she wanted to be remembered at her memorial service. Tell us about that service. Tell us... Um, do we know when it
2: is yet? Mm-hmm. Like what, yes. Oh, yes, please, it, please do,
4: because it's going to be huge. It's, it's just... Well, I can tell you it's going to be huge. They've booked the Collingwood Town Hall. Wow. For next Friday, the 12th of October, I think, at 2 p.m. That was announced only yesterday. If... Um, There is a Facebook event for Yvonne's memorial that will have those details, but I'm pretty sure it's between 2 and 6 next Friday, the 12th of um, October.
2: Obviously, her death has touched you in a huge way. You must be going through a heap of emotions.
4: Well, it's something that um, was completely unexpected. We all thought that Yvonne was the type of woman who'd live forever, that would overcome any... Hurdle in her life, as she had overcome many hurdles in her life, um, many tragedies. That's not to say that her life wasn't without triumph too, and that's what we will celebrate. I think we'll pack. That. I think she will pack out the Collingwood Town Hall. It's and it's. it's, it's we're lucky that the Collingwood Town Hall has a big stage, because I think that stage is going to be very active. I'm only imagining.
2: Who's going to speak? There must be people jostling for places. The, the, I,
4: I don't know. I, I haven't been involved directly with the organising of the memorial, but I think there'll be a cavalcade of speakers from from all walks of life because there's a whole other Yvonne that we don't know in this community. Evon has an auntie, a, a, a biological auntie. She has a family out there um, who I've, I've been lucky enough to meet and they're all as crazy as as she is, as you can imagine. And, and they're the ones that we really need to think about too at this time. Mm. She's not. We didn't own her as a community. We claimed her as a community, but we couldn't own her. She had another life too. So that would be interesting to see the coming together of all the aspects of her life, whether it be through her HIV-AIDS activism, her community work on various boards and committees, her life in the clubs and bars and drag dressing rooms and stages, and her actual family coming together from all around. It's going to be a marvellous day, and of course everyone's invited. Mm. There's a new
2: generation of queer folks who are growing up and doing incredible things, and it's amazing how many of them have actually been touched by Yvonne, especially in the arts community. Oh, she was a
4: pied piper. She attracted young queer kids, performers, artists, as you say. She attracted them like bees to a honeypot. And as a woman of 75, it was not um, rare for her to be surrounded by teenagers, young queer teenagers, uh, which was marvellous. Like a, more than a mother, a grandmother in that respect.
2: What word comes to mind the most when you think of Yvonne?
4: Exuberant, selfless, or there's, there's no, not one word mm. because there's a word for every part of, the, of my relationship with Yvonne, so exuberant was one one part of my relationship, selfless was another, someone who never said no, someone who, uh, um, rather, someone who, yes, both, she never said no, never, and nor did she ever take no for an answer when she needed something. I remember her working the phones, raising money, um, when when I was working with her at, at the Midsummer offices in the 90s, if we decided we'd put on a fundraiser and we needed hay bales, which we did once for our country and western theme, she was on the phone to the hay bale people and, and she wouldn't... And, of course, we weren't paying for them. Um, if it was up to Yvonne, we wouldn't be paying for them. She would hustle things like hay bales for us for free. She'd hustle sandwiches and salads for our lunches when we were all vol- as 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 volunteers in the community. She was out there hustling and so that's a good description of her a hustler i like that
2: the gay community in particular fulfilled a need for her
4: obviously but what do you think that need was you know i um, we all want oh, we all wondered that what 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 did this glamorous um exuberant straight woman want with the queer community what was her link it, the the link is strong obviously and long standing right back to the to the sixties, she was in the thick of it. She was, she was, she was in. She would, be, she was part of the Lay Girls crew in Sydney. Uh, she knew all of those girls. She was part of the Pokies crew in in Melbourne. She knew all of those girls. It was a, it was a drag connection. It was a gay men's connection, and more recently, it was a connection to all people queer, gender non-binary. The marriage equality campaign recently, she was front and center with that too. So I often thought, what, what, what attracted her to, to, to us? What, what attracted a lot of the broken-winged birds to her that, that she helped and, and helped mend? I don't know. She was one of the fa- founding committee members and board members of the Also Foundation, which no longer exists, but um, it was the gay and lesbian, or firstly gay, uh, community organisations in Melbourne and, and later Gay and Lesbian. Mm. She was a founding board member there and, and it was instrumental in running our community celebrations such as the, the Gay Days... The, the Queen's I birthday. remember them, yes, and she was there. Yes. At the centre of it. Yes, indeed, yes.
2: Do you think the gay community fulfilled a sense of love and
4: connection that she just couldn't find anywhere else? Well, perhaps, perhaps as a woman with, um, who, who never got around to having a child for whatever reason, uh, we were her children. I remember I was, well, I was a, uh, in my early 20s when I met her, and at that stage she was a woman in her 50s. So, um... She'd always been surrounded by younger people, so maybe she just needed that that energy, that mm. that youth, that energy, and 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 the particular type of energy that the queer community and only the queer community can give to somebody. Maybe it was that. Uh, the, maybe she had a, she certainly had a need. Um, she had a definite need to be filled with flamboyance, so it maybe it was only the drag world that gave her that that level of satisfaction and that level of connection with someone who is, is as flamboyant as Yvonne. She knew many people who died of age related illnesses, far
2: too many to count on her fingers. She probably you know. knew more than most of us, I'd yeah, imagine. Yeah. Did she ever talk to you about the sense of grief that must have given up?
4: I think the grief was empowering. I think the grief that she experienced from that was... The impetus for her to keep working for the community to keep combating the alien existence of these people who are who are living with HIV AIDS and giving them a, a sense of place in a community and bringing them into her community which is why those lunches particularly Christmas day were very very important for a lot of people over the years and and I'm and I'm sure that they will continue she self-financed those lunches for many many years until um she eventually got a grant to, to help it along a bit she w- shopped at the Preston markets um every week for those for those lunches uh, whether there were only four people or whether there were 40 it didn't matter everyone was fed everyone had a place at the table and everyone was fed
2: Brenton and Guy, thank you for sharing your memories about Yvonne Gardner's life and legacy. And uh, for those listeners who are interested, and I know there are many are, the funeral is next Friday.
4: Next Friday, the 12th of October, 2pm at the Collingwood Town Hall, Hoddle Street, Collingwood. A very appropriate venue. Um, I think it will be busy. Uh, the Facebook event says please t- tick yes, press going as in by way of an RSVP because there'll be somebody who'll be making sandwiches and sausage rolls and cups of tea and glasses of wine, I'm sure, and, and they'll need to know how many sausage rolls to make. Yvonne's sausage rolls, of course, were legendary. Her chicken sandwiches, unforgettable. I had a birthday event in Bendigo recently where I had 30 people on a train, on a V-line up to Bendigo to the Marilyn Monroe exhibition when it was on at the Bendigo Art Gallery. And she provided sausage rolls and chicken sandwiches as sustenance on the train on wow. the way up. She, that's so Yvonne. It was very... <laughs> and she dressed as Marilyn Monroe in Some Like <laughs> It Hot, you know. So did she, the dress she, go up? <laughs> she, was right, she, <laughs> she was right into it. Whatever she did, she tackled to its extreme. And that's a, that's a wonderful a wonderful way to li- have lived your life. And I take a lot from that personally and try and emulate her as much as I possibly can in that regard. Brent Guy, thank you for celebrating the life of Yvonne Gardner here on 3CR.
0: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.